Well, good morning, Hope Bible Fellowship. This is Pastor Cal, and I am thrilled to be able to be with you, although digitally only. Uh, some of you may not have heard, just wanted to let you know, I had close contact with someone who was tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, therefore, I'm in quarantine, so I am uh, in an undisclosed location, and by undisclosed, I mean my basement, <laughs> filming uh, in not the greatest conditions, but it's how we're going to get it done, and I do believe God has something fantastic to say in his word today, and uh, I hope that it will change you. Uh, his word does change us, and so that's my prayer today. Would you join me in just praying together uh, for this uh, message and for the rest of our worship service? I'm sure Dana has already led in some great worship, and um, I am, I'm thrilled I'll be joining you online uh, watching this, though my part is pre-recorded, I'll be watching and hopefully being able to interact with some of you as well. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll get on with it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Jesus, for Hope Bible Fellowship, for letting me come and be their pastor. God, I thank you that even though I had close contact and Kenan had close contact with somebody that neither of us has exhibited symptoms yet, uh, God, I thank you that, um, you know, just that you seem to be putting this disease, this virus, um, on its heels, and it seems to be uh, just ebbing away. God, I just pray that you'd give us boldness to uh, take back up uh, just gospel ministry with an urgency, uh, God, that is, as we are able to begin to gather in person more and more and to minister to more and more people in person, God, that you would bring us uh, the people who you want uh, us to disciple, and you'd help us to make disciples here and around the world. God, I pray for guidance for us, for me, for our leadership as we uh, move forward together as a church, as we look for different ways that we can improve the ministry that we do, that we can be more gospel-centered, that we can be a healthy church. And the things that we need to do, God, help us know what those are. Father, I just thank you for the the direction that I feel you've given me already and, and just pray you'd continue that. God, I pray this morning as we talk about a difficult topic to talk about um, and a difficult passage, I pray that you would help us to take you at your word and to trust you and to trust that your way is best. Help us to um, see any um, any sin in our hearts, that you would root that out of us, that we would be quick to repent and to run to you and run away from sin, Jesus. God, help us to know you better and help our lives to be different when we leave this place than than they were when we came in. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it's really good to be with you, to be able to be with you in this way. I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. Stop into the comments and say hi. Make sure you uh, like us on Facebook so that you can get our videos whenever they come through. You know, there's a scene in the TV show The Office where Michael Scott, who's played by Steve Carell, um, plays this bumbling, awkward, unwise regional manager. Uh, he wants to get everyone in the office's attention one day. So he stands up and he yells the word, sex! And he says, now I have your attention! And he, something about sex and sexuality that always piques the human interest. Our culture's obsessed with sex. Our, our culture has a problem with sex. We've taken something that God gave us as a good gift to be shared within the confines of a biblical marriage between one man and one woman for life, and we've used it to serve our own selfish desires. And Jesus knew this about humans because he was 100% man and 100% God. 
And he knew the proclivity of the human heart toward the idolatry of lust and its connection with adultery. And he knew what the solution was. And he addressed this deep human sin in our passage for today, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. And it says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the second of what scholars refer to as the six antithesis or antithesis uh, that come into this section of scripture of Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives some application of the heart and spirit of the law. Now, it's, it's, it's really how he continually turns the religious thinking of the scribes and Pharisees on their head. For that matter, he takes the religious thinking of the people and turns it on his head, on its head. Now, this was incredibly relevant in their day, and it is unmistakably relevant in our day as well. And the main idea I want to get across to you in the next few minutes is this. Lust is adultery of the heart. We must guard against it and deal with it drastically so that it doesn't lead to destruction in hell. Lust is adultery of the heart. We've got to deal with it, and we've got to deal with it drastically. The righteousness that Jesus is teaching his followers about in the Sermon on the Mount is that which exceeds the righteousness of the, of the religious leaders, and I've talked about that for two weeks now. It's what we've talked about with whole person righteousness. It's not limited to our actions, but it goes all the way to our heart and our motivations. Sexual sin is universal to our human nature, and as we've mentioned, in our society as well. This morning, Lord willing, I'm going to address guarding your heart, protecting your eyes, and watching your hands. Adultery is dangerous to all parties involved. But here we have Jesus pushing his followers to do what? To chase after something beyond simply avoiding adultery. It's living a Christian lifestyle of killing lustful sin. Jesus calls us to heart-level purity. You remember back in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 8? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This isn't virtue signaling, okay, as we hear about in our culture today. It's true purity of heart. It's true pure virtue, true purity of heart that can only come from a relationship with Jesus. Sex sells sex sells. We see it in advertisements all the time. I have some statistics that may shock and sadden you, but are going to prove the point of where we're at in our culture and the dire need for the gospel to beat back the darkness. One of the biggest uh, problems right now with um, sex and sexuality in our culture is the problem of pornography and its pervasiveness on the internet and you know, even television and everywhere else. But I have some statistics I want to share with you. In 2006, the sex-related entertainment business's estimated revenues were just under $13 billion in the U.S., according to Paul Fishman, who's the president of the Adult Video News Network. 
three, uh, excuse me, these estimates include video sales, rentals, internet sales, cable, pay-per-view, phone sex, erotic dance clubs, magazines, and novelty stores. In 2007, global porn revenues were estimated at $20 billion, with $10 billion in the U.S. The Free Speech Coalition estimated both global and U.S. porn revenues have been reduced by 50% between 2007 and 2011. Now, before you get excited that it's been reduced by 50%, the reason that it says it is is because that's due to the amount of free pornography available online. Free websites comprise between 70 and 80% of the adult material online, typically used as, as bait for pay websites guiding viewers to premium pay services. A conservative estimate places 32% of adult membership websites and 58% of free adult websites outside the United States, but being viewed in the United States. 90% of free porn websites and nearly 100% of pay porn websites buy their material rather than create it themselves, so you don't even know where it's coming from. Webroot Cybersecurity says this, 28,000... 258 users are watching pornography every second. 28,000 users every second are watching pornography. The amount of money spent on porn every second on the internet. So on internet porn, the amount of money spent every second is $3,075.64. Every second is spent on the internet on porn. 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. The world's largest, uh, excuse me, the world's most popular porn website reports that in 2017, there were 28.5 billion annual visits to the website. There were 81 million daily average visits, 25 billion searches performed, and 50,000 searches per minute and 800 searches a second. There were, on this one site, 4,052,542 videos uploaded. Not downloaded, uploaded, sent up to the internet. That is, just in case you didn't want to do the quick math, that's 68 years worth of content uploaded. If you're a computer guy or gal... That's 3,732 pentabytes of information transferred, which, just in case you're wondering, at the time of the writing of this material I got, uh, it's enough to fill the memory of every iPhone on Earth. By the way, this these statistics come from Covenant Eyes. It's a, a ministry, and they have a, a website blocking software, uh, and that's where I was able to pull these statistics from. They had gathered all of them from these different studies. Let's go on. According to a survey conducted by the Barna Group in the U.S. in 2014 and 2016, so about five years old, 55% of married men say they watch porn at least once a month, compared to 70% of unmarried men. So 55% of married dudes and 70% of unmarried dudes are watching it at least once a month. 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. And 16% of unmarried women watch it at least once a month. According to a survey conducted by the Barna Group, which is a very reputable study group, 
uh, in the United States in 2014, so this is a little bit older, 63% of adult men have looked at pornography at least one time while at work in the past three months. 38% have done so more than once. 36% of adult women have looked at pornography at least once while at work in the past three months. 13% have done so more than once. In fact, pornography sites I have heard will tell you that one of their busiest times uh, during the day is while people are at work. Uh, People are at work looking at it. But here's some more statistics that really start to really hit home with where we're at among churchgoers. According to a survey by Barna in 2016, 41% of practicing Christian boys ages 13 to 24 use porn at least once a month. And 23% of practicing Christian men 25 and over use porn at least once a month. Here's the thing that bothers me about this. I mean, lots bothers me about it, but these are just the people who would admit it. 64% of self-identified Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women view pornography at least once a month. Bill Perkins says, if you think you can't fall into sexual sin, then you're godlier than David, stronger than Samson, and wiser than Solomon. In other words, you aren't, and you can fall into it. How does this relate to pastors? Well, according to a survey by Barna Group in 2016, one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling. That's more than 50,000 United States church leaders, and I bet since 2016 that number has not gone down. I bet it's gone up. 43% of senior pastors and youth pastors say they've struggled with pornography in the past. And only 7% of pastors report that their church has a ministry program for those struggling with porn. I know you're probably sitting there saying, these are terrible, and maybe you already knew these things. But you may be thinking, Pastor, you're supposed to be preaching the word. Why are you reading us a bunch of statistics? Well, I wanted to hammer home a point. That we, number one, live in a very depraved, fallen world that left to our own devices, we will seek out whatever gratifies ourself. But I wanted to um, help to increase our understanding of the urgency with which we must be ministering the gospel and with which we must be watching ourselves. And that's the first point is guard your heart. Guard your heart. This commandment and its teaching have been well known to the Jews. It's from the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 14, it says, You shall not commit adultery. I'm sure you've heard that before. And in Deuteronomy 5.18, it's reiterated, And you shall not commit adultery. God warns against idolatry because, number one, it's against his plan for us. It's sinful and it's harmful. Christopher Ashe gives us six reasons um, about adultery, why it's very serious, and Tim Challies kind of builds out on some of those, and I thought these were fantastic from an article Tim Challies wrote, but it's he's using Christopher Ashe's work. Adultery is turning away from a promise. That's reason why, number one, why adultery is so dangerous. It's turning away from a promise. It's turning away from one to whom promises were made in the presence of witnesses. Most importantly, it's a forsaking of promises made in the presence of God. And in that way, it's turning away from God himself. So number one, adultery is turning away from a promise. 
Number two, adultery leads the adulterer from security to chaos. Because the adulterer has turned away, he or she enters into a life of torn loyalties. Even when the adulterer remains loyal to the new partner, there's still the divided life, the divided family, and the divided memories. Adultery leads the adulterer from security to chaos. And you guys who have experienced this in your families know it's true. Third, adultery is secretive and dishonest. It has to be, because no one wants to trumpet that they're breaking a promise. No one wants to announce that. Adultery loves the darkness and flees the light. And for as long as it can, it tries to remain a secret. Whereas new, excuse me, whereas news of a marriage is broadcast by joyful announcements, invitations, all of that. But news of an adultery, an affair, leaks out by rumor and under pressure. Next, adultery destroys the adulterer. Adultery does no favors to the adulterer. To the contrary, it actually undermines and erodes character and integrity. Like all secret sin, it eats away like some noxious chemical at the integrity of the one who commits it. It, like all sin, destroys, kills, steals. Adultery damages society. Each act of adultery is like a wrecking ball, taking a swing at the secure walls of the social fabric of society. I like the way he said that. It stirs up hatred and enmity. It encourages a culture which reckons marriage boundaries needn't really be quite so rigid. We love to think our sins are our own, that they only concern us, but our sin goes far beyond ourselves and it impacts others. Your sin will harm those around you. And adultery hurts children. Adultery does grievous harm to an innocent party, children. Children are harmed when adultery brings chaos and conflict and disunity. No wonder when the Bible contains such serious and repeated warnings against it. You know, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. It's from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 and 29 through 29. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. That's Proverbs 6, 32. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Hebrews 13, 4. So yes, adultery is very dangerous. It's dangerous to the one committing it, and it's dangerous to those surrounding he or him or her. It's harmful. It leads to destruction. That's what Jesus is saying. But then Jesus does something. He, he drops on them, on his hearers, what appears as, or excuse me, what amounts uh, to a spiritual atom bomb, right? He tells them that it begins with lust in the heart. Not just if you've committed adultery, but if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. It's like a, dropping a bomb right in the middle of the way they thought about sin and the way they thought about religion. The heart's the real problem to be dealt with drastically. I heard my old college roommate, Greg McGee, say this. I don't know if he was quoting someone, 
but, but he said this. He said, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And that's an undeniable truth. Well, adultery, it's so dangerous, but it comes from a place of lust in our heart. So what's the tr- dirty truth about lust? Lust is self-centered. See, it's, it's interested only in sexual gratification of the self. It only wants what you feel, for you to feel good, for you to get what you want. It treats others, other people, as things to be exploited and not as the imago Dei, people created in the image of God. When lust is done, when it's done with the object of the lust, of the desire, it discards it. It seeks and looks after another, uh, another object to sate its desires. In Job 31.1, it says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then should I gaze at a virgin? We must guard our hearts against lust because our hearts will deceive us and go after selfishly that thing we want and misuse and abuse it and then throw it away. So we must guard our hearts. Number two, we must protect our eyes. If you look at verse 29, it's where this correlates. And Jesus uses two illustrations that pretty vividly illustrate dealing with and protecting yourself from the danger of lust. And he ends both with a warning about hell. Sinful lust will lead you down a dead-end road. It will not deliver what it promised. In fact, it promises more than it can possibly deliver. And you think it will make you happy, but in reality it leads to hell. So we must take the necessary steps to deal with our sin. Sinclair Ferguson tells us to act decisively, act immediately, and even if it's painful, we must root it out. It's not up for negotiation. All right, There's no deal-making here. As I was preparing this message, I, was, I got to this part and I was reminded of a, of a movie scene. Now, it's like a disclaimer, right? I don't typically watch Christian movies because generally they're not very good, honestly. Uh, generally they're poorly acted, over-the-top cheesy, maybe not the greatest theologically. Though they are getting better, I will say. Um, but anyway, many years ago there was a big one that came out called Fireproof about a fireman and his marriage and... His marriage is falling apart. And one of the issues was lust in his heart and his addiction to pornography on the internet. So one day, and you may have seen the movie, you may know the scene, uh, one day he realizes he can't have a computer in the house anymore because he goes in there while his wife's not home, and that's when he gives in to his lust. So he doesn't sell the computer. He doesn't throw it away. What he does is he takes it outside, he gets a baseball bat, and he just starts smashing it and bashing it. And the scene's pretty funny because he looks up and there's an old couple watching him. (laughs) And he didn't realize it at the time. But I do like that scene, and here's why. I like it because it's a vivid illustration of cutting off the thing that causes you to sin. The phrase causes you to sin in Greek is literally causes you to stumble. And it's written in the present tense. So, In other words, if your eye keeps on causing you to stumble into lust, you're better off to gouge it out than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your Facebook account continually causes you to stumble into lust, then you're better to sign out permanently than to be thrown into hell. You see, the issue isn't the eye itself, or in the case of the illustration, the computer is not the issue. The issue is your heart. Your heart has lust in it. 
and the eye or the computer or the Facebook account or whatever it is in your life is leading you into gratifying those sinful desires in your heart. Your heart is the issue, and it must be dealt with. Jesus told his followers that their righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. You don't simply not do the physical action of adultery, but you must deal with your heart issue. The key to it is a pure heart, a circumcised heart. And you can only do this, uh, excuse me, and you cannot do this yourself. Only Christ can do this. In Deuteronomy 10.16, it says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. In Deuteronomy 30, chapter, or 36, sorry, 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. See, the Israelites were commanded, back in the law of Moses, they were commanded to, uh, all the males must be circumcised. That was to set them apart as the people of the Lord. But now, it's not our physical bodies that need circumcised. It's our heart that needs to be set apart for the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 31 Verse 31 through 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This idea of God giving us a new heart, a pure heart, this is beautiful. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-four through 27, this is the language used here, uh, is... is glorious. I will take from you, excuse me, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. A new heart can only be gained by faith in Jesus and experiencing the new birth, the new covenant, right? That The new covenant in Jesus' blood. In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 16, a famous passage. Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night to ask him these questions. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet do not you do not understand these things? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The only way to get a new heart is to be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. That his death on the cross was sufficient as a sacrifice on behalf of you, dying in the place of you, in your substitute, as your substitute for your sins on the cross. And three days later he rose from the grave, which proved that God had accepted that sacrifice as good once and for all for the sins of the world. And if you put your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ for salvation, he will save you. He will give you a new heart. He will give you uh, a new desire for him. You'll begin to grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life because you get the Holy Spirit to come and indwell you. So, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Protect your eyes. And number three is watch your hands. Verse 30, watch your hands. When we come to verse 30, we find that it really reinforces what we read in verse 29 and actually parallels it. Radical surgery is required to remove anything that would cause us to be cut off from eternity. Good thing that our God is a great physician. This verse reinforces the idea that there are incredibly, incredibly high stakes when we talk about lust and adultery. A pure heart can only be given as a gift from the grace of Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith. My favorite John Owen quote says this, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. So what are some practical ways that we can be killing sin in ourselves? What are some practical steps we can take? So you've trusted in Jesus, and you want to protect your, you want to guard your heart, you want to protect your eyes, you want to watch your hands. What are some practical steps we can take? Well, Ferguson gives us four of those. The first is, realize where yielding to sinful lust will lead you. Hell. Plant that in your mind and recall it again and again that giving in to sinful lust will hurt you. It will lead you to destruction. Number two, deal with the real cause of your sin. Deal with the real cause of your sin. It's an impure heart that settles for God substitutes. It's simply idolatry. What is there in your life that you're putting in place of God? What is there in your life that you desire and you long for more than anything and you put that in the place of God? That's idolatry. Repent. Believe the good news. Number three. You figure out what it is. Act decisively. Act immediately, even if it's painful. And remember this. Obedience cannot be negotiated. Neither can heaven or hell. (laughs) Ferguson says that now is always the right time to do the right thing. I agree. He's much smarter than I am. And number four, this is important. 
realize that your lust is not the whole of your life. It's not even the main or the most important part of your life. Think and understand what you gain by abandoning that lust. You get Christ and you get heaven thrown in. The real treasure is Christ, but you also get heaven thrown in. Sin is a cruel taskmaster, and lust is one of its favorite instruments to keep us enslaved and in bondage. But Jesus came to rescue you. He came to set you free from from a never-satisfied tyrant that is lust. Treasure Christ above all else. What you gain in treasuring Christ above all else, what you gain will put to shame what you've given up. And you're going to wonder why you stayed so long living in that bondage when you can trust Christ. So just to wrap up, put a bow on this whole thing. I know when I do videos, I like to try and keep them shorter. Only when we are in Christ are we able to guard our hearts from temptation. We're drawn to him, and when our affections are filled for him, when our affections are filled for Jesus, there's no room for any of that other stuff in our heart. In our hearts, there is a place reserved only for Christ. And when he's there, there's not room for other stuff to get in there. Jesus can guide our behavior, but first, he wants our hearts. He, excuse me, he comes for our hearts. He bought them. He bought our hearts and owns them. What he bought should be given gladly to him. Treasure Jesus above all else in your heart. And if you do, your eyes, your hands, and your computer will follow. Build your affections for Christ. What do I mean by that? Do things that build your affection for Christ and avoid things that steal your affection from him. Is there certain music that you listen to that helps you love Jesus more, that builds your affection for him? Certain books that you read, they help you build your affection. Certain passages of the Bible, certain verses you bring to mind that you've memorized. Do those things and don't spend the time doing the things that steal away your affection from Christ. That might be social media. It might be a certain TV show or something that that's just steals your affection for Christ and tries to set your mind on other things. So don't spend time doing the things that steal your affections for Christ and do the things that build your affection for Christ. Friends, it's time to make a decision and act. Repent, believe the good news of Jesus, or believe the gospel, and treasure Christ above all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this final song and this time of decision, God, I pray you would help us to act decisively. God, that you would root out sin in our lives, that you would help us see any lustful area in our hearts, that you would bring us quickly to repentance and help us to treasure you above all else in this world and in this life. God, if there are those watching who do not know you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation, that they would trust in you. Your death on the cross on their behalf is sufficient to pay the price for their sin, to absorb the wrath of God on their behalf that they would trust in you and you alone, that they would believe that you physically rose from the grave, that you've ascended into heaven, and that you are returning for your church, Jesus. I pray they would put their hope and their trust in you. Help us, God. Help us even in our unbelief 
to trust you, Jesus, in all things. Free us from anywhere where we've allowed ourselves to sneak into bondage. Help us not be deceived by the desires of our hearts, but help our hearts and our affections be set on you, Jesus. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen. God bless you. I look forward to being able to, Lord willing, be with you next week. Have a blessed week. I love you, church. Thank you.